Future CEOs, Rising Star Wednesdays. So you want to be a CEO? Sure, go ahead, read your ABCs of managing book. Or if you really want to be a CEO, then keep on listening to this Future CEOs podcast with your host, Gareth Armstrong, as he gets you up close and personal with real-world CEOs thought leaders, and industry experts to learn from their experiences and the insight and wisdom they've gained while leading in these challenging and ever-changing times. Are you ready? Then let's do this. Hi, and welcome to Future CEOs. I'm Gareth Armstrong. Again, I find myself in the offices of the Creative Council. This time I'm sitting with the other side of the duo that started the Creative Council, the, the co-founder and co-CEO, Run Neuner. And what's so interesting, and we're going to ask him to comment on it in a, in a moment, is that he describes himself as a very, very different individual to Gil. And, and it's going to be a fascinating conversation to see how they took this business from essentially what was a garage and turned it into the massive entity it is today. So without further ado, make sure you have a notebook and pen ready. Here he is. Run Neuner, co-founder and co-CEO of the Creative Council. Welcome to Future CEOs. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me. What an honor. Let's begin with maybe a little bit of background on your involvement here. So we sat with Gil the other day, last week, uh, and he shared a little bit about the Creative Council. Maybe we can skip the Creative Council bit a little bit, but then you can just share your journey. Uh, how did you get here? Well, Gil and I started the Creative Council together. Um, we've been partners way before the Creative Council. And we found that we had amazing complementing qualities. Mm. So Gil is this very um, arty, uh, creative person who always focuses on, on the big picture. And I like to get things done. Okay. And I found that you know when we combined that, we had an amazing partnership. And we had a few businesses before this. Some were successful, some less successful. And when our last internet venture before the Creative Council went insolvent, we realized that the one thing that we had was a great partnership. And so we started Creative Council together, and we started working together. What we also discovered when we ran Creative Council together is that we can't work together. So you can't work together. We can't work together. You mean be in the same room? We cannot work on the same project together. Okay. So it was quite an interesting learning because here's this guy who you've got an amazing partnership with, but on day-to-day -day stuff, you can't work together. So what happened naturally was that the business split into two. Okay. And Gil took care of certain things and I took care of certain things. And we almost had like an unspoken law that kind of said, if I'm dealing with it, you don't deal with it. And if you're dealing with it, I don't deal with it. Do you consult with one another though? Very much so. Okay. On strategic matters. Mm -hmm. So at a, I hate using the word board because we're not a board company, but mm. at a top level, we're completely aligned and we, we meet with each other regularly. We speak to each other very often, um, we, re we have a once-a-week set meeting, breakfast or dinner or something, and we, we completely aligned at the top. But from that point, we don't talk to each other. In other words, I'll update him or he'll update me, but we won't work on the same projects together. Mm. And it's great. So it, it, it has its ups and its downs, but the, the, the ups are much better than the downs. Sure. We effectively have two CEOs or two businesses, one run by myself and one run by Gil, working for the same group mm. with two CEOs. I believe Gil's, Gil is certainly one of the most competent people I've ever worked with. And to have him as a partner is, is amazing. Mm. And when you put the two of us together, you've got two strong CEOs driving one business and we're completely aligned. Mm. And why are we completely aligned? 
because our pockets are aligned, because we have one agreement between us that everything we get, we'll get together. We have the same amount of shares. Mm. We get the same bonuses. Even if the one salary was high and the one salary was lower, at the end, we'd equalize each other at the end. Okay. So we're completely equal at all times, and we have an amazing partnership. In mm. fact, some um, universities have wanted to do case studies on this as a partnership model. Mm. No, I can see why. We had a question a while back when Standard Bank created a co-CEO office. And we, we, we thought to ourselves, how is this going to work? How are, are these guys going to actually steer their ship? Uh, but you've described it very nicely, almost two businesses, but co-CEO title. Uh, and you, you certainly, as you said, are aligned on the top strategically and um, fundamentally the same. Exactly. And it really works well. How did that come about? So um, often what happens is someone will say, well, I'll be the CEO and I'll be, so you'll be the COO. What, what, what's your role primarily? Or would you say more operations because of maybe this desire to, to get involved as much as, you, or as you've described? So if you can imagine a scenario where you've got two very hungry, very competitive people working in the same business. Mm. So we had two options. Work it out or kill each other. Okay. Because we were both competing. Um, we've been competing since we were at school. When we were kids at school, we would compete all the time, be it for grades, be it for girls. Yeah. We competed all the time, and right. we, we, we still compete. So my biggest competitor is sitting right next to me in an office next door to me. His name is Gil, and Gil's biggest competitor is me. And if you look back, and so often we look back, we look back at the rest of the industry, and because we've been competing with ourselves, we've left the rest of the industry behind. Mm. So your question is, how did it come about? It came about pretty naturally mm. because we found that whatever Gil was better at doing, he naturally went and did. And whatever I was better at doing, I naturally went and did. So whereas I'm not exactly the best accountant, I think I do numbers slightly better than Gil. And therefore, the finance function landed up on my lap. Sure. Um, in terms of starting very big projects, I'm not such a big dreamer. Gil's a dreamer. Mm. Gil can have this, these dreams where a normal person would look and go, you must be crazy. You, you want us to do that? And slowly what he'll do is he'll chip away at it. Mm. And so we have this, you know, we have shared qualities and we have, um, we have qualities that where we, one is better than the other. And we've naturally, the business has split to allow me to work on the stuff that I like and Gil to work on the stuff that he likes. Time to time we do have uh, conflicts they small. Sure. And like I always say to my friends, um, Gil and I got married at a very young age, and we have a joint baby together called the Creative Council. Okay. <laughs> so, it's like a, so this partnership is very much like a marriage. Sure. And a point, I, I often I do a lot of entrepreneur uh, chats, entrepreneurial chats, and a lot of people ask me, should you get into partnership? And I think the question is more like, should you get married? Mm. Now, when you get into a partnership, the implications are as serious as the implications of getting married. Sure. A divorce from a partnership, I mean, if you could imagine myself and Gil trying to di divorce ourselves from this 600 million rand turnover business, mm. it would be a very ugly divorce. Yeah, potentially. So yes. I'm glad I chose a good partner, and uh, we treat, this, we treat the, the partnership like a marriage. Mm. Okay, no, very interesting. What is so important for our listeners to understand, and this really comes from another interview that uh, that I did recently with Angus Ridgeway. He's a he was a director at McKinsey and so on. You know, the big one of these big consultants. That small consulting company. Yeah, that small consulting company. Uh, and he he said, if you really want to get the best out of your people, 
back even in school, what they do is they, everyone always highlights focusing on your weaknesses. You're bad at maths. Well, then we're going we're gonna to push harder in that area. But what I hear you saying is, well, no, we actually focused on our strengths and we allowed the other person to compensate. We allowed the team to compensate. I think that's what I hear you saying and, and that's such an important lesson for, for many of our listeners. That's correct. So we do believe that you should focus on your strengths and usually your strengths are the things that you like because you enjoy doing things that, that you're good at. If someone's not good at numbers... Don't force them into a position where all they're doing is numbers because sure. they'll, hate, they'll hate their roles. We adopt the same approach with our staff. So we try and put them in areas of the business where their skills are best suited. Mm. Now, that's not to say that we don't try and compensate them. We have a member of staff in our team who is the most incredible client service person in the world. Mm. But she had bad math teachers at schools. So ironically, what we've done is we've hired Gil's father, who's a mathemat- he's very strong in maths. Sure to teach her maths. Mm. And he's literally going through standard one, standard two, standard three, because we care about our family. We care about the people that work with us. We treat them like family. And we feel that it's our responsibility to, to really develop them. And development doesn't always mean an MBA or a CFA. Sometimes it just means going back 10 steps and teaching them grade one or grade two or grade three maths. Sure. And that's what we're doing. I think that there is a difference between this idea of focusing primarily or exclusively on strengths versus... Uh, the the need to make sure that the person is skilled enough to deal with anything that comes their way uh, when they're out there in the world dealing with clients, dealing with, with operations in the business. I agree with you 100%. Focus on the stuff that you love doing. Mm. All right, let's ask this question then. In your experience, what does it take to be a CEO? Had you asked me this question five years ago, I think the answer would have been very, very, very different. Okay. I had a turning point in my life where, I mean, I've had the title of CEO for many years. I think I had the title of CEO from before Creative Council. I was the CEO of an internet venture. Mm. And I was doing it wrong. And people kept telling me you're doing it wrong. But I was so arrogant because I was making so much money that I couldn't see it. I couldn't see that I was doing it wrong. Sure. And then after a while, I realized that my key staff are leaving. Mm. and people around me are unhappy. And then I realized I was doing something wrong. So if you ask me about the role of a CEO, to me the role of a CEO is the same role as a general has when his troops are going to war. Mm. You'll very rarely see a general in the trenches fighting with his troops. So a lot of people say, you know, I'm the CEO, but I'm very hands-on involved, and I get involved in the day-to-day. If you do that, you're doing it wrong. And I learned that through, I mean, I've been for a couple of years of executive coaching with some of the top coaches in this country to to help me break out of this controlling, obsessive micromanagement. micromanagement. To me, the role of the CEO is, like I said to you before, the role of a general in a war. The general is the ultimate leader. And in order for troops to succeed at war, they've really, really, really got to trust their leader. Hmm. And the leader has a responsibility to his team and the responsibility to his team says number one the general has to be trustworthy at all times they've got to be they've got to trust that whatever decision he's making he's making with full integrity the second part of of the general's responsibility is that he has a responsibility to see everything to see what's happened 
and to see what's about to come. It's interesting that you call it a responsibility. He has a responsibility to see everything. That, that's very interesting. Please, please yeah. go on. So he has. So the the first thing is the, the first thing is he's got to be trustworthy. The second thing is he's got to see everything, and the third thing is he's got to be a leader and take action. Mm. So if you put it into a triangle, the top part of the triangle is be trustworthy. The second part of the triangle is see it all, and the third part of a triangle is take action. Mm. Execute. Uh, execute. And if a if a leader does that, again, I, I, whenever I doubt whether I'm doing the right thing or not, I always go back to times of war, because that's when that's when you really need to know what you're doing. Sure. In times of peace. Everyone's happy, and whether the general's in the trenches with the troops, everyone's happy. But when the war comes, the troops need to know that their general's trustworthy, sees it all, and will take action and tell them exactly what needs to be done. Having said that, every now and then I do slip into my former self, and I do jump into the trenches sure. and try and help. And what I find when I do that is that I, I ruin the people under me because I, I undermine their authority with the people under them. Mm. And so I've really taken a big decision to step away and to let my managers and the people that I've selected actually run their own businesses. That's a that's a paradigm shift that I had a few years ago, and I've implemented for the last two or three years. And literally, our business doubled from that day I did that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so you need to become a CEO, and a CEO is exactly that. It's a leader. It's a visionary. It's someone mm. who sees everything. It's someone who takes responsibility for everything. It's someone who leads. Shamil Yusuf, he he shared this uh, something very similar with me when when we sat together a while ago, um, and then I asked him, so how do you cope with this desire, this need, this itch to get involved? And he said, Gareth, I I, I do a walkabout. Uh, if if I feel like I need to to be a little bit involved, I just do a, a little bit of a walkabout. I I measure the temperature in the room, uh, the proverbial temp temperature. And, and that satisfies me to a certain extent, and also it doesn't undermine the authority, as you've, been, as you've mentioned. What do you do, or what, what kind of strategy do you employ when you get that itch? So Shamil is one of the smartest guys in the country, I think, So, um, and, and I'm quite amazed. Well, I'm not amazed, but I, I think it's great that our answers are pretty much the same thing. I was complaining the other day that I don't have much to do, but I'm very busy. Okay. So I'm busy in my head. And, and so you ask me, where do I spend my time or how do I get a feel for the business? I've got litmus tests that I apply. So every now and then I'll go and analyze a few of the quotes that I've seen sent out. I'll go and have coffee with a few of our clients. I'll, have, I'll walk past people in the office and chat to them. I also have this, this, this thing that I've done, which is called the CEO birthday breakfast. Okay. And if your birthday is in the month of, say, November, you're invited to breakfast with the CEO, no matter what level of the business you're in. Mm. And it's a very structured breakfast. So it's an informal breakfast. But in my mind, I have real structure in terms of what I'm trying to extract. Sure. And I use that as a gauge for where people are happy and unhappy in the business. Um, is, is this a one-on-one -on -one thing or is it's, it a group, a group It's anybody thing? in the company that's having a birthday in a certain month. So we're having one on Friday. And if your birthday is in November, okay. then it's my treat to you. I'll take you out for breakfast. And it's, I mean, it's amazing because we're such a big group. The people in the group don't know each other. Mm. So, you know, you've got – and they, we, they come up and we have a breakfast and it's an amazing breakfast. It's a two-hour breakfast. And I gauge what's going on in the business. So, so back to it. Number one, the breakfast. Number two, I speak to our clients a lot. Number three, I have a great relationship with our staff and our managers. So I have several touch-based meetings with them where we just chit-chat, no, no, no agenda. Sure. Um, I do walkthroughs around the office. 
and I listen. I listen a lot. Um, I know this is a radio interview, not a TV interview, but if you look at our office, we don't have offices. Sure. We have one little table with plastic chairs. Yeah, and then a couch that we're sitting on right now, and that this is the CEO's office. Exactly. And the reason is because it's an office that we don't – we use this office as a meeting room. But otherwise, I don't have an office. My mm. office is my phone and where, where I happen to be at that point in time. Hmm. No, no, very interesting. And by the way, the, to all our listeners, the last time I was here with Gil, I, I saw Ron and he was kicking a soccer ball around um, this open plan office that is, is uh, that you can see through the the large window panes that are here um, dividing everything. Anyway, that's just an aside. We play soccer. We have table tennis tables. We have a boxing ring downstairs. We have a yoga and Pilates studio in one of the pods that you drive past. Sure. Um, we have a hair and nail salon upstairs. So okay. That's the type of place this is. Mm. No, no, very interesting. One, uh, just by the way, one of the only failing that I am aware of with Run thus far is that he's a Chelsea fan. Um, but uh, anyway, we won't yes. talk too much about that. To all the Liverpool fans out there, we, we <laughs> say again, 20 years later, we say there's always next season. <laughs> Anyway, let's move quickly, uh, quickly along. It's anyone but Man United, right? Yeah, uh, uh, we we agree there. <laughs> you either support Man United or you support everyone else. Yeah, no, no, we agree there. As a young up-and-coming entrepreneur, and then even into the transition of uh, to being a CEO, what would you have said was your biggest mistake that you couldn't uh, pin down to simple naivety? And and then also, of course also the lesson that you learned from that. So. The biggest mistake that I made by far was not understanding the value of the people around me. Okay. So it's a, it's a double-edged mistake because, number one, I didn't hire the right people. I didn't hire the right people because I never believed that our business was going to make it. Okay. And therefore, I never believed that I could afford the right people. That's very interesting. Yeah. So what I should have done was hire more of the right people and stop being so penny-wise and pound-foolish. And then the next thing is I should have respected the people and looked after the people and not got involved in everyone's business. Mm. So the biggest mistake that I made was I really I, I hired people, but I didn't give them free reign to do whatever they wanted. And so what you'd find is that unless they were little clones of me, mm. they didn't last very long. Sure. And I lost a lot of amazing people like that. And if I could go back, I'd certainly love to work with those people again. Uh, under different under different circumstances, I really I, ha I have a collage of the people that I use when I do entrepreneur talks mm. of the people that I lost along the way. And if I look at that collage today, those people were amazing. You're not going to get better people, and they left. And they left because of one thing. They left because of my corporate immaturity. Mm. I was a young hotshot CEO who thought he could take on the world by himself with his partner, um, and and the people were just people that came and went. Mm. And the biggest lesson that I've learned in my business career is that people can't come and go. When you, when you take on someone, you take them on as a partner. You take them on as a partner in your success. And you need to treat them like part of your family. Just like you're not going to get rid of your brother or your sister sure. when they do something wrong. You have a responsibility to groom them and mentor them and focus on their good side. We have the same responsibility in business. 99% of the time, you're not going to find someone better. Do you have any other examples to illustrate what you're sharing with us here? So I think the biggest example was, and I'm going to go back to the first point that we spoke about, about not hiring the right people. Mm. 
in the in the formative years of our business, in the younger years of our business, we we struggled with a financial function because we were an entrepreneurial business. And the financial function was always, you know, entrepreneurs by nature like to sell and the admin comes later. This is now the beginnings of the Creative Council specifically yeah. or are you referring to Well, let's to talk about the beginning of Creative well? Council, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's – this Creative Council has really been my schooling ground. Mm, okay. Now, in Creative Council, the sale – we were such good salespeople and such good business people in inverted commas that we completely forgot about the admin and the numbers. Mm. And when the time came to hire a financial director, we said, you know what, we can't afford a financial director. Let's hire a financial manager, a very good financial manager. Mm. And even seven years later, eight years later, we're still paying the price for not hiring the right people from the start. So because we hired someone slightly more junior because we were looking after the pennies, mm. two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we found errors which cost us millions and millions and millions of rands because of the errors that were made six or seven years ago. So this is a real story. We as a company had to write off millions of rands, tens of, tens of millions of rands because of errors that were made six or seven years ago. And our new financial director, who is a star, who is a hotshot, looked at the records back, going backwards and he turned around and said, guys, there's a mistake here. There's a mistake here. Mm. There's a mistake here. And we need to correct these mistakes. So you want to talk about learning a lesson? That was one of the best lessons I ever learned. Mm. And if I could recommend to people out there, when you're a young business, you have to believe that you're going to be the biggest business in your industry. Because when you think like that, you'll hire the right people, you'll put in the right systems, and you won't make the mistakes that we made, which we're still paying for today. I, I sat with a young startup CEO a, a couple of weeks ago, and he said this to me, and it was so wise, and I'd like to just hear your comments on it, and maybe um, we'll see some parallels that there are here, with, especially with the beginnings of the Creative Council. Uh, and he said to me uh, that he, you must never employ someone and expect them to bring or to create the systems that you yourself, as the entrepreneur, the founder, should be creating as an example with you, uh, did you employ this individual, this financial manager, and expect them to create financial systems for you here, or were they already in place? Uh, is, I mean, is that where the errors started coming in? The, the errors, so I'm not sure that I employed them and expected them to put in systems or follow my systems. I expected them to sort out the financial function of the business. Sure. I made two mistakes. I hired someone who was too junior, mm-hmm. and I asked them to do it my way. Okay. And I didn't know enough. I'd never run a financial department of a big corporate before. Mm, And like it or not, even though our culture is very different, we're a big corporate now. And we need requisitions for everything. And you need reports for everything. Sure. And so I think the mistakes were I didn't hire the right people. And even when I hired the people, I didn't give them free reign to do what they wanted to do. Mm. And that's one of the hardest lessons as a CEO. You need to... Hire the right people, but also let them do their work. I suppose if you're hiring the right people, you, if you are confident that you're hiring the right people, then you'll trust the, and that's one of your, your key points that you raised earlier, you'll trust that they are going to do the best job well, possible. Well, that's the next part because saying you trust someone and actually trusting someone hmm. means letting go of a certain part of your business. Now, the, the implications of letting go of something in your business could mean that it will fall flat. So, the, so as an entrepreneur, or as, a, as a CEO, not even as an entrepreneur, 
I've learned a lesson. I've learned that that changing a process is like driving a car from Durban to Cape Town. Okay. You have to know where you're starting and you have to know where you're going to end. Yeah, there must be a destination. And then what you've got to do is you've got to put checkpoints along the way, gas stations. Mm. And you've got to meet the manager at the gas stations. And if he's not at the same point that you need him to be, then then you jump in again. Sure. But but I, I, I always use my analogy with, with the managers. I always use the same analogy. And I say, look, if you want to delegate and you want to let go and you're uncomfortable with delegation, map it out. Mm. Joburg to Cape Town, find where the checkpoints are. And if the person meets you at every single one of those checkpoints and you're happy with where they're at, that's great. I really like that. I really like this idea of mapping it out. Very well said. Thank you for sharing. In your experience, what do you, uh, let me ask this first. Are you a big reader? I do read a lot, but I read short articles. Okay. I read snack bits. I don't read long books. Sure, sure. Well, maybe then in the past, at least, you may have read a couple of leadership and management books because the next question is what don't those books teach uh, about being a CEO? What aren't they doing to help prepare someone to become a CEO? I don't believe... Uh, I'm going to be careful how I say this. You don't have to be too careful. I, I don't believe in books. Okay. Because I think as an entrepreneur, you learn from your own experiences, and there's no better lesson than learning from your own experience. Even, if, even if those experiences are utter failures? Especially. Especially. I call it, I call it the character curve. So the, the, uh, and in all my presentations, I refer back to the character curve. You didn't get that from a book. This is yours. This is my own curve. My <laughs> own curve. So there is a there is a curve that says that it doesn't matter where you're at in the curve. It matters about the area within the curve, on the inside of the curve. So if you've got if you've over the ten years built up a business which is five hundred million rand big, mm. it doesn't matter where you're at. It matters all the areas that are below the curve, and I call that the character the character curve. Okay. Now you can't pick that up in a book. So let me give you an an, an example. I've hired a few MBA graduates mm. who have come in here with amazing, amazing ideas which they learned in three years of study in textbooks. Sure. And these are, these are proper guys. And when it came down to actually making it happen. The execute part that you've spoken about in your triangle. Execution, number one. But also devising a strategy that can be executed. Mm. The guys fell terribly short. Sure. Why? Because they had no practical experience. Mm. Now, I'm pleased to say that I've done a degree. I've done a master's equivalent degree in finance, sure. but I've never read a leadership book. I've never read a management book. I've often read short pieces about other people's experiences. Mm. So there's no substitute for reading something like a Time magazine or a Forbes magazine. Or, or in this particular case, maybe an autobiography if you are a reader. I think that's exactly. what I hear you saying. Exactly. But if you think that you're going to read five leadership and management books and you are then going to have what it takes to lead or to manage – You've got another thing coming. I'm going to take that a step further. If you think that you're going to do an MBA, and when you walk out of doing an MBA, you're ready to become a CEO, forget it. Mm. I've had those guys in my business, and they don't stand a chance. Unfortunately, the way that we learn is we learn on our own experiences, and we learn the best lessons on our own experiences. And I can tell you one thing for sure. My worst experiences, my deepest scars have led to my best learnings. Mm. I think it, um, in Silicon Valley they say fail and fail fast, or something, yeah. something to that effect. And, yeah. and that, that's because of exactly what you're saying. I say deep scars 
best learnings. Mm, no, very nice. Just maybe one or two then learnings that, that have come out of a couple of deep scars. Uh, I mean, I, I, I hear them coming out anyway. If we were to put them at a, um, I, I, can't, I can never say this word, a junk, juxtapose? Is juxtapose, yes. Jux, is it jux or junkst? Juxt. Today it's juxtapose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, we if we were to put them against each other, what would you say management books and uh, leadership books on teaching about being a CEO. So just give us one or two. Let me give you one example. And, and let's go back to the people example because I love that because sure. I really believe that, that one thing that people forget about is their people. And I, Ma, ma, By the way, on, on this note, Mark Kutafani is the Anglo-American yes. CEO. He uh, said to me, and I'll never forget it, I always take one-liners out of these interviews. Uh, he said, uh, leadership and by implication business is all about people. Exactly. That, that was the one liner and that, that will stay with me forever. So again, we can learn in a book about what you need to implement to make sure that your people are happy and the book will teach you about how to do certain surveys. What it doesn't tell you is what to do when. Okay. So you'll find out what's wrong with your business. Now, what it won't tell you is how to create an amazing work environment knowing what you know. Hmm. How to treat your people knowing what you know. It's all very well, and we read this in every textbook. I don't, but I'm sure it's in every textbook, <laughs> that you need to learn the art of delegation. Sure. So the art of delegation is simple. You don't want to do something, you give it to someone else to do. What does that mean practically? Yeah, what does it mean in, mean in real terms, emotionally, mentally? How um, do you manage the risk? Mm. Let me ask you another question. How do you teach the managers underneath you to delegate? Because now they haven't read a book. So let's take a CEO that's come out of, of, of Harvard and he's come out with these amazing management books, never managed a person in his life, but can tell you section one and section two and section three of management. Sure. He now needs to, to learn himself to delegate. Yeah, the art of. The art of. Once he's done that, he needs to teach the art of delegation to his staff. Mm. Now, I say this because very recently I had to teach my GM who's been with me for 10 years, how to delegate. Okay. And even though she thought that she was a manager, I showed her that the same way that I learned the lesson, that she's not a manager until she can delegate. And delegate means that you ask the right questions mm. to get the right answers exactly. and you stay out of people's way. Mm. I always say in this business, and anyone that's worked with me will tell you, I say, if you're thinking, you're not doing. And if you're doing... You're not thinking. Now, you've got to choose. If you're doing, you're not a manager. If you're thinking, then you're a manager. Okay. Now, often what I find is that my managers, what they do is they're trying to think and do. Mm. There's no such thing. Okay. Now, that, that, that's a very interesting point. Tell me quickly, are you introverted or extroverted? Very extroverted. Very, extra, very extroverted, which is interesting because what I hear coming from you is that there's a lot of thinking happening, a lot of positioning, a lot of let's call it psychological play even that's coming and a lot of people may not associate that with an extrovert. Yeah. So if you think about the world of business, the world of business in my mind is probably made up of, of two components. Mm -hmm. The one component is what you actually do to make value for the world. Sure. So what's your product? Can we call it value proposition? Value proposition. Okay. What's your product? How are you adding value to society? And the second part of it is how, you, how well you can communicate it and how well you can sell it. Mm. 
Now, in order for the second part, the first part is a product. The second part is psychology. Sure. The second part is you need to understand whether you're marketing to consumers, you need to understand the target market and how they think. Whether you're selling it to a to a client of yours, you have to understand how they think, whether you're selling it into their staff. So I want to tell you quite interestingly, because I find this to be absolutely fascinating. Mm. I went to a talk in Cannes when I went to the Cannes Line Advertising Awards. Okay. And I went to an amazing, amazing, amazing talk. It was the first talk. It was done by a Japanese agency. Mm. The agency's name was Hakuhodo. All right. Hakuhodo is the most, the best agency in the world bar none. Mm. They have 3,000 staff. They house them all in one office and it's a happy work environment. They ran a talk called The Agency Model of 2024. Okay. And they walked into Cannes. Now, if you can imagine Cannes, Cannes is the most arrogant, most decorated advertisers in the world, okay. all going into one place. And they stood up at Cannes, and the first line of their presentation was, that in the agency model of 2024, the agency that wins isn't going to be a brand expert. Mm. So everyone went quiet. It's going to be a people expert agency. And everyone said, well, what do you mean? And they gave us two unbelievable examples, which will cement what I say to you here. Mm. In Japan, they have created hospitals, and in the hospital, every single room has a fireplace. Every, Why? Every room has a fireplace. A fireplace. Why? Initially, I thought to myself, well, it must be because of warmth, and you know, people, when they're warm, they heal better. It's not that. It's because when the human body sees fire, it feels that it's under attack. Mm. So instinctively, it puts up its guards. And heals quicker. All right. So now again, that's an agency that's people expert. So I say to you, I say to you again, you need to be a people expert if you're gonna if you understand what products to create and how to sell those products internally to your own business yeah. and externally to your clients. So the more you understand about different types of people and how they tick, the more successful you'll be in business. With one fundamental thing in place, you must have a good product. Very well said. Thank you very much. Uh, the the principle that I think is associated here, maybe a comment or two if you'd like, uh, is empathy. Your the ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Is that uh, yes. something that that you'd um, you're calling for perhaps here? I think a little a little bit of empathy is required. Um, I think it's a, it goes a lot deeper than putting putting yourself in another person's shoes, because sometimes they don't even know what they want. Mm. Sometimes you have a responsibility to show them what they want. I, I, I always use the, the, the example, a lot of our campaigns or our promotions give away cell phones. Mm. So our clients are quite funny because they come to us and they say, let's find out what cell phones consumers want to win. So you go out into the market and you say to consumers, what cell phone do you want to win? And they say, we want a Blackberry or an iPhone 6 or a Nokia. Now, they're only saying that because that's all they know. Sure. If you went and said to them, I'm going to give you the new iPhone 6 big screen. Of course they choose that. So mm. quite often the responsibility is on you to show them what they actually want because we're limited in thought to the things that we know about. Mm. So yes, empathy is right. And, and, and I think empathy is a hygiene factor. But more than that, let's talk about leadership. And you have a responsibility as a leader to lead your people to the place that they want to be at. I think this is a Steve Jobs thing. So <laughs> if, you, if you're saying the same thing that he's saying, I'm going to be interested to see where you guys are in a few years. 
Yeah, let's hope I'm not where he is. Well, then, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's not, certainly not um, six feet under. Huh? Yeah. Your biggest light bulb moment as you made this transition from being an entrepreneur who was a, fa- a founder of a business, uh, very hands-on, to, to being the CEO. I, I know you've mentioned a couple of things here already. Let's see if we can just pick up a, a couple of nuances through it's some so, of these answers. It, it's so cliched, but my biggest light bulb moment was when someone once said to me, you were given two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm. Sit and listen. Um, and someone gave me a, another saying the other day, and I, at, at the fear of misquoting it, but he almost said is that, that wisdom is listening and knowledge is saying. And I think my biggest light bulb moment was to actually listen to the people around me. Context? Is there context to, to that interaction that took it's place? It's happened a million times where quite often I'd sit in meetings and I'd, I would listen for the things that I wanted to hear. Okay. And when the meetings weren't going in that direction, I steered the meetings towards the things that I wanted to hear. What I was actually doing was I was dampening the other, people, other people's creativity because I was steering creativity. Mm. Um, so I think the biggest lesson is sometimes you should sit and listen because even though initially the direction may not be the direction in which you want it to go, the new direction may have a better outcome. Mm. And you've got to have the corporate maturity to listen all the way till the end to listen as to whether the outcome is the right outcome or not. Now, I say that, but on the other hand, I say as a CEO, you have to make a decision. And, and you've also been saying you have to be leading. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm quite you interested. Have, um, you to have to listen. To, you have to listen to as many valuable opinions as you can get. And you have to have the maturity to let those opinions run. But ultimately, as a CEO, you've got the responsibility to make the decision. And you've got to make a decision and you've got to execute in your decision. Mm. So the light bulb moment, let situations flow past the point where you're not comfortable. So when you feel uncomfortable, keep your mouth closed and just carry on listening because you never know when the right, where this thing might take you. Mm. So I'm going to give you an amazing example. Okay. Um, Go for it. I'm just. I'm not going to mention names, okay, okay because uh, it, it might be quite sensitive. So, as a business, we were defrauded of uh, of one and a half million rand okay. in a scam. Sure. Um, and I blamed the scam on the bank. Mm. And so I got the bank to. I, I had a meeting with the bank, and I got the bank to almost admit that it was their fault. But legally, I had no claim against the bank. Sure. So, I, so I had a meeting with the chairman of the bank, and I sat with them, and I said to him. You know, guys, your systems let, let us down. Your processes let us down. This is a repeat occurrence in, in your bank. And as a result, we've lost one and a half million rand. And I got the chairman and the operations manager to actually admit that this was no, actually… They, they failed, yeah. They failed. But they didn't fail enough so that legally I had a case against them. Mm. Now, my instinct told me to beat them up. My instinct told me to be aggressive and to tell them I'm closing down my account and something said to me, hang 10. Mm. Don't say anything. Let it flow. And there was that, that, that awkward silence in the meeting after, you know, they were obviously expecting me to, to shout and to, sure. to lose my cool. And there was that awkward silence. And one of the guys in the meeting turned around and said, you know, Ran, we've got a great idea for you. You did lose money. We may or may not be at fault. Why don't we give you work? to teach other people how not to lose this money. In other words, to make your business more secure. And you can run these corporate events 
and we will fund them and you can make your one and a half million rand back. And today they're one of our big clients okay. because the idea was amazing. Now, mm. again, had I acted on my initial immature instinct and put them on the ground mm. and, and left and shouted and gone to the press, I wouldn't have got that. But I turned them into a client. Mm. And I think that's another point that I'd like to, to mention that a good CEO is someone that can always make lemonade out of lemons. Mm. So every time he sees lemons, he doesn't think about, oh my God, these are lemons. He goes, how can I make lemonade out of this? Yeah, what's the best way to do this? Yeah. Mm. I, said to my, I said to one of my managers the other day, when a client complains, as a CEO, that's the best opportunity of your life. You know mm -hmm. why? Because you get FaceTime in front of the client, which you ordinarily wouldn't get. So you can go in there and it's a forum to get you into a room with your client which ordinarily you wouldn't have had. Mm, mm. Yeah, and you definitely get good feedback there, and that's, those are pivot points as well for, exactly. for any product or, or exactly. business as well. So please finish this sentence, and let's see what comes out here. As a CEO, my highest priority every day is to ensure? My highest priority every day is to ensure that the business is being led in the right direction and that the people are happy and the people are following me as a CEO. Mm. This is an interesting point, uh, the happiness of people. Uh, because I've often wondered, or I mean, I certainly have, I think we've all sat in those jobs where we are a little bit unhappy, we're not, it doesn't quite link with who we are and what we're doing. How have you been able to do that here? How have you been able to make sure that your motivation and your the people who are following you, their motivation um, are aligned, the intent is aligned. I think the question you actually need to ask is why do people work? Why, why do you believe people come to work? Because mm. it's not for a paycheck and it's not for their bonus, believe it or not. Yeah, for some it might be, uh, initially at least, but um, that's very limited. Isn't that's it? what I thought for many years, but the people that are here for a paycheck and for a bonus are going to be here for one or two years. Yep. People come to work, in my mind, for one simple reason for a sense of achievement. Hmm. That's why people come to work. So there's a difference between fulfillment and achievement, and I, I think it's important maybe to make that... Um, I think fulfillment comes out of achieving your objectives all the time. So, hmm. so I, I think the lesson or the practical lesson is that you need to always give people a benchmark. I know businesses sometimes use a very terrible... A metric which they call a KPI yep. and I think the KPI is, is the corporate way for people to measure their colleagues on a mass scale mm. you know you have KPIs for positions I don't believe that I believe that you need to set people individual people individual targets now targets need to come in three forms okay one is your day-to-day -day target one is your shall we call it your macro target or your bigger target and one is the macro target of the business Okay. Now, if you give a person three objectives, even if it's a data capture, let's look at the the, the position in our business that is seem, seemingly mundane and menial. Yeah. If you give, if the guy's capturing ten names a day or ten pages a day, and you set his target at twelve, and he achieves his twelve, every day that he leaves your work, he's going to go back and say, "I captured twelve today. Jeez, I'm doing really well. Mm. I captured all twelve today." That's the small, that's the personal objective. Then we take it one step higher and we say to the team and we say to the team, guys, if you capture a thousand pages, then we get a bonus from our client. And they capture the thousand pages. 
And then you set a company, a macro. Guys, if we all do everything that we're supposed to do, the company will hit its targets. That gives people a sense of togetherness, a sense of camaraderie, and a sense of achievement. Sure. So I'm very much, there are a lot of, we did, and there are a lot of other businesses that are out there which don't set small targets or don't set targets for the smaller people in the organization. Mm. Right down from reception. Set your receptionist KPIs. Hate the word KPIs, but set her targets um, in terms of how she can get better every day. Sure. And you'll find that people have an amazing sense of achievement um, when they hit these, these daily targets. I also hear something else coming out here, and, and that is that there must be a consistency with what you are saying on a – uh, not necessarily a micro, but uh, as you used it, a macro level and a, then an organizational level in terms of what you're going to be giving back for those targets being met. There has to be that consistency and there has to be that incentive. Is that, is you'll that be surprised right? that you'll be su – yes, consistency, of course. Um, you'll be surprised that a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the giving back may not be monetary. And I, I know it sounds crazy. We're a, we're a company that believes in massive bonuses. Mm. Um, some years we haven't been able to pay those bonuses because trading has been a little tougher than expected. Sure. What we found though that was that even in the years where we never paid bonuses, the employee morale stayed high. And some years when we paid bonuses, the employee morale drifted. Why? Because it's not all about the money. It's sometimes mm. just about the sense of achievement. Mm. Okay. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Don't get me wrong. Our, our staff all want big bonuses and, 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 and are very well paid. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that, yeah, that is important. I suppose perhaps someone listening here thinks, man, this, this, this guy is inspirational. I want to work for him. And then they hear that and they think, okay, well, let's take a step We pay back. really well. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? You've shared some already. Maybe, maybe if we look at the bigger picture uh, and we look at you developing into the person you are, what's the best advice you've received there. One of my mentors once turned around and said to me, you know, the only time that you're going to make real change in your behavior and in what you do is when you can look in the mirror and identify and be honest about your weak points. When you can take away the ego mm. and you can take away all the justification as to why you do things. So the best advice that I ever got was have the guts to look yourself in the mirror and be honest about what you see. And then go ahead and make changes to try and fix that. Mm. Take ego away. Mm, no, very nice. The one habit that you would attribute your success to, to this point? Obsessive compulsive. <laughs> I'm an obsessive, <laughs> obsessive, obsessive person. Uh, I cannot let things go until they are resolved. Uh, I don't let things go. And I think if you ask my business partner, Gil, he says it. Um, he says I'm the most tenacious, I'm not allowed to say the word on radio, but... Um, the, the most tenacious mother um, uh, yeah. he's ever met. So I'm not <laughs> going to say that on radio, but sure. um, he says I'm, it's, it's my tenacity. And my tenacity comes about the fact that I'm obsessive. I'm obsessive about winning. I'm obsessive about yeah, winning and, and getting stuff done. Mm. And I can't let things go until they're done and until they're done properly. And I think that's my best quality. It's my worst quality. Yeah, I was going to ask about the downside. It's my worst quality. But it's my best quality. Mm. Uh, just on the downside element there? Uh, I drive people mad. Okay. Uh, if you present me with a PowerPoint presentation and there is a spelling mistake in the presentation, I'll tear it up and I'll make you go and redo it. Mm. No, no. And uh, I can understand why you would do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Spelling mistake is a, is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> spelling irks me. Yeah. <laughs> 
What are they? What are, are you a grammar Nazi? Is that the? I'm not. I just I I believe that uh, in the days of spell check, there's no excuse for making a spelling mistake. No, absolutely. And um, people that spell publicize with a Z E at the end, please change your setting to the to the South African or the UK yeah, English. English, exactly. <laughs> no, I agree 100% with you. What are your three pillars of CEO leadership then? So you've spoken about the triangle. Are those your three pillars? I think if I were to say, yeah, if if I were to to put the three qualities that I strive that I strive to or aspire to in my CEO, I think they do form part of the triangle. Mm. Um, I do want to be the CEO that everybody trusts, mm. clients, staff. I do want to be the CEO that has full vision of his business. And again, I say to you, it's not only what's going on today, mm-hmm. but what is going to happen. So you've got to see everything. Sure. And I want to be the CEO that actually did, mm. um, not not spoke. Nothing grates me more than people who stand in front, CEOs that stand in front of their organizations and talk a good game. Mm. Okay, lovely. You had some strong words to say about books and about MBAs. In your opinion, what should our future CEOs community be studying over and above maybe a undergraduate qualification or an advanced degree like an MBA? There's no harm in studying. Um, there's no harm in studying. I think I think you have to get you have to buy a ticket to the game. Well, and the ticket to the game the ticket to the game is, is often technical capacity, isn't it? I think have an undergrad doesn't matter whether you do it in social sciences, arts, business. It's an undergrad. It's a ticket to the game. From then on, it doesn't matter. Mm. So yes, you can go and enhance your schooling doing an MBA or a CFA or a master's, but don't think that because you've done that, it's going to make you automatically a better CEO. Sure. The right way to learn is to get out there and to make real mistakes and to live in the real world. Mm. It's almost like if I say to you, go and read a book or all the books about how to drive a race car. Yeah, I'll never know how what it, it you can feels like books. to run G, feel those G's as I go around a corner or how to accelerate appropriately. So let me and, ask you a question. If you were if you were hiring a racing car driver, would you rather hire someone who's been on the on the track for 10 years with no qualifications or would you hire a guy that's read every book about race car driving? It depends how the guy on the track has been doing over those 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. No, you, no, but, you've got but, the answer. But, but he, he would definitely be the person that I would look at first. So yes. this is the biggest racetrack of your life. Mm. No, very nice. Very well put. We're slowly winding down to the close of our conversation. Uh, here is another question. In spite of your lack of reading, are there any books that you have read that you would recommend to our future CEOs community? I don't recommend books. And I, again, I've read now and then. I'm not a big book reader. There's so much amazing snackable content on the net, on the web. Sure. Facebook has, has such amazing feeds. And I don't, and magazines have an Economist, Fortune, uh, Forbes, Time magazine. Those are musts. Mm. Those are musts because that teaches you what's going on around you in the world. Whether or not you should read uh, Jack Welsh's autobiography or Mark, Mark Zuckerberg's autobiography or Richard Branson's autobiography, I've read Richard Branson's autobiography. I can't say I learned very much. Um, I can't say it's made me a better business person. Sure. I understand how it inspires other people, but I believe get out there and do it. And mm. going back to your point about reading, read as much snackable article content as you think because that's for me that's certainly enough. Yeah, I was going to ask you then what would be your alternate source of information, but you've, you've definitely given yeah, that. Ma- magazine you. articles and Facebook has a million and one links a day. 
um, to, if you subscribe and if, you, if you're part of the groups to amazing. So find a set of groups that you're really passionate about. Yeah, that, that, that's an aggregated feed right there. Exactly. Get your aggregated feed. I, I make a point of reading 20, 30, 40 articles a day. 20, 30, 40 articles a day can take a long time, but it's valuable time spent, isn't it? Or it well doesn't spent. take as long as three years in a school doing an MBA. Yeah, <laughs> very, very, good, very good point. Well, maybe then just a final question uh, before we comp- part company, and then may- we'll also just give you time for maybe a final comment as well. Uh, if, you were to be able, if you were able to go back and sit with the 20-year-old ambitious young future CEO you, what counsel would you give yourself? It's a tricky question because on the one hand, I would have said, you know, fix all the mistakes that, that I made. But on the sure. other hand, I think the mistakes molded me into the person that I am today. And yeah, I know you've sounds, spoken about scars. Yeah. Scars. And I, I, I like my scars. I think my scars make me who I am today. And my scars give me the confidence that if I fail tomorrow and this whole thing falls apart, I'll be able to get up really quickly mm. because I've got a lot of um, battle scars to prove it. Sure. There is one regret that I have. Okay which I want to share with people. And mm. maybe this can be my parting comment. Okay. And you, that you're supposed to live life without regrets. And everyone says, no, well, I have no regrets. And you know, we're not allowed to have regrets. I have a regret. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm open about it. I have regrets. Okay. I have one regret. The regret is that when we started this business, as an entrepreneurial business and without f- funding and financing, I found myself always worrying. So I worried about how we're going to pay the rent and I worried whether we could hire people and I worried about getting a new client and I worried about losing a client and I found myself paralyzed by fear. Mm. So quite often when I look back 10 years and I look back at and I, and I look back emotionally, I, I get this bubble of fear in my stomach and I lived in fear. Now, there is a fine line between constructive paranoia, sure. which is very healthy, sure. and paralyzing fear. Mm. And... I want to just say to others who are going to go on this ride that if you decide that you're going to be an entrepreneur and you get onto that roller coaster, then you better enjoy the entire ride. You better enjoy the downs and the ups Mm. and not only enjoy the fun parts. So I didn't. I found myself worrying, panicking. We're going to lose a client. We're not going to get paid. We're not going to have money to pay the bills. Guys, if you're going to go out there and you're going to be entrepreneurs, that's what you've signed up for. And you've got to enjoy the whole ride and not just the successes. Very well said. Run, thank you very much for your time and thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights with us. We really appreciate you and all the best for you and Gil and the Creative Council. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. What a super conversation. If you'd like to get into touch with Run or the Creative Council, you'll find their contact details on the summary page on our website. I'm Gareth Armstrong. It's been great being with you again. Thanks for joining us today on Future CEOs, and we hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take action. Head over to future-ceos.com for show summaries, recaps, articles, and other resources aimed at fast-tracking your rise to CEO status. To make it even easier for you, simply sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we'll keep you up to date on all interviews, special guest appearances, new developments, and more.